everyone. Welcome to the Your Pastor Reads Books podcast, a podcast for Christians of all stripes, where you'll hear ministers discuss their love of reading and the specific books that are shaping them to be wholehearted followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and I hope you enjoy our first season of conversations with pastors about the books that they read. This is episode one in which I introduce myself and talk about a book that has recently shaped my own life. So no guests this week. They'll be on starting with episode two. First of all, you might be wondering a little bit about me, so that's fair. I'm an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God, and I've been in pastoral ministry for 14 years, which includes time as a staff pastor, a church planter, and lead pastor of City Church in downtown Iowa City, Iowa. I also serve as a sectional presbyter in the Iowa Ministry Network and as the director of the Iowa Network of Women Ministers. I happen to be a certified coach, and I got an MFA in creative writing about 12 years ago, wrote a memoir, and then proceeded to write a lot of sermons in a lot of church program and website content with that degree, so it served me well. I'm currently just starting a master's program at Northern Seminary in Chicago, the home of Scott McKnight, so I'm pretty pumped. I'm the mom of three daughters, two of whom have officially just become young adults, and I've been married to Mark for 25 years. Now, as far as my reading life goes, my sixth grade teacher wrote on my report card that I was a, quote, voracious reader. He apparently was as well because sixth grade me did not know what voracious meant. However, it was an accurate description as I tore through books and series. Now, I can't claim that everything I read was high literature at a young age. I mean, I read Nancy Drew Mysteries, Sweet Valley High, which I knew then was a little trashy, um, as well as endless installments of Anne M. Martin's Babysitter Club books and a sprinkling of Christian fiction. Now, as far as the childhood books that have really stuck with me, I'd have to put Anne of Green Gables up at the top. And I loved Judy Bloom's Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, where poor Peter Hatcher's life is pretty much hijacked by anything his cute but obnoxious little brother Fudge decides to do. As an adult, uh, my preferences for reading have really trended toward literary nonfiction, especially memoir. Um, I also love reading books for spiritual and theological reflection, and it's even better if those are fused with memoirs. So I have lots of Ruth Haley Barton and Eugene Peterson lining my bookshelves. So why a podcast about pastors who read books? Um, First of all, I think reading books is important for everyone because books are a major vehicle for learning and reflection and silence and solitude, which is good for our souls in this very busy busy video and social media-based culture. However, reading and critical thinking is also deeply important for Christians who are seeking to be shaped by the teachings of Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that if a person endeavored to become a Christian, it was going to take all of himself, brains and all. So um, that was my paraphrase of Lewis, but it takes all of us, even our minds. Not only should we be reading our Bibles, but I think we should be engaging with worthy writers and thinkers who not only challenge us in our faith, but help us see 
beauty in our faith. And this can happen whether an author sets out to write an explicitly Christian book or not, which is why you're going to hear pastors on this show talk about books of history, fiction, memoir, and other genres, as well as spiritual writing. Is this a podcast just for leaders and pastors? Not at all, because I hope that if you're a follower of Christ, you'll gain insights, wisdom, and book recommendations by the pastors who join us here. Um, My prayer is that this content encourages you, enriches your journey of faith, and maybe helps some really worthy authors sell a few more copies of their books. So uh, I hope that you'll join us for this season, whether you hold the title of lay leader or professional minister or not. So all of that said, today I want to talk about a book I read just a couple months ago called Barking to the Choir, The Power of Radical Kinship. Um, This is written by Father Gregory Boyle, and Father Boyle is the founder of Homeboys Industries, Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, which is the largest gang rehabilitation and reentry program in the world. In 1988, he began this ministry to just help youth who are vulnerable to gang activity, and it's turned into, as I said, the largest gang rehabilitation program in the world. So you can go to homeboyindustries.com and see all the services offered by Homeboy Industries, which include tattoo removal, workforce development, case management, domestic violence, help, legal and mental health services, solar panel training, substance abuse, and youth re-entry services. And all of these services and industries are, for the most part, run by former gang members who have re-entered into society um, without a gang identity. Now, Father Boyle gets invited all over the United States to speak about this ministry. He's been on Dr. Phil and other various talk shows over the years. Uh, He goes and he speaks to communities who want to change patterns of gang violence by understanding the forces that draw young people into gang membership. Now, I didn't know anything about gangs other than what I've seen in West Side Story and what I've read in two of Father Boyle's books, and I will link all of his books in the show notes. Uh, His first book, Tattoos on the Heart, The Power of Boundless Compassion, is one that I've also read. And of course, now we're talking about The Power of Radical Kinship. So with the books that I am used to reading lately, especially when I was in full-time pastoral ministry, Um, I'm usually prepared for them to take me from point A to point B, to uh, convince me to think differently by the end of the book, perhaps adopt a new strategy for leadership, perhaps have some new tools in my tool belt for approaching various issues or, you know, writing sermons better. And, you know, Father Boyle's book is really filled with anecdotes And story after story after story about the power of radical kinship and the ways in which the nurturing environment that was being created at Homeboy Industries was cultivating a sense of belonging in these gang members so that their lives were transformed. So I wouldn't say that I was necessarily taken on a linear journey. I felt more like this was a a journey of deepening concentric circles. Like 
I kind of got a vision of radical kinship in the first chapter. And then as each chapter goes on, uh, I, you become, I guess for me, I became like more and more uh, aware of the profundity of radical kinship and just how much it can change a person's life. So he's a great storyteller. He's got a fantastic sense of humor. Um, he counts himself as, you know, one among the people. Uh, I think he was asked in an interview how many lives he'd quote unquote saved. And he said something like, uh, none to my knowledge. You know, if anything, the young men and women I've worked with at Homeboy Industries, they've saved me in a lot of ways. And uh, so just just beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to stick with deepening concentric circles of revelation about the the power of belonging and the transformative power of belonging. LA is about as different from North Liberty, Iowa as it gets. Uh, but Father Boyle's book really made a mark on me. And, um, and I began to just think differently about how I see those who belong with and to me. Uh, and when I say that, I don't just mean the people in my family. I don't just mean people who are part of like my ministry network or my church. But the idea of like human beings belonging with and to each of us. Uh, no strings attached. And the idea of how belonging and a sense of belonging changes people. There was this moment in the book where he was, uh, Father Boyle was serving on a panel with social workers and other, you know, professional uh, experts in this uh, field of of gang reentry and rehabilitation. Uh, and some of the other experts on the panel were saying things like, uh, kids join gangs because it gives them a sense of belonging. And Father Boyle was like, no, I don't think so. I think kids join gangs because they're miserable, because life has been so miserable for so many of these kids. Uh, and misery loves company. Uh, but also, life doesn't really feel worth living when you have had such a miserable childhood. And so the idea that you know you could lose your life in a gang or you could be injured in a gang isn't something that feels prohibitive to a lot of the kids who are pulled into gang membership. And I heard him, or I just read an interview with him with NPR, and he said something like, you know, if you can infuse a kid with hope, well, hopeful kids don't join gangs. <laughs> so, so maybe if the the problem, you know, the thing that that was leading kids to join gangs was a sense of hopelessness. Well, then maybe the solution to gang violence is hope. Uh, and he says, you know, if you can give kids a sense of the truth of who they are, that they're exactly what God had in mind when God made them, that that is something that will keep a kid from joining a gang. If a human being operates out of this belief that they belong on this earth, that God put them here for a reason, that in itself is something that imparts hope. So 
uh, he says, uh, one of the quotes from the book is, no matter how singularly focused we may be on our own worthy goals of peace, justice, inequality, and, and he might be referring to, you know, the worthy goal of eliminating gang violence. He says, those things actually can't happen without an undergirding sense that we belong to each other. Seek first the kinship of God, then watch what happens. I love that. Seek first the kinship of God and watch what happens. And, you know, it's immediately convicting for me because I think about how as a parent, I'm often, you know, you know, I have this list of things that, you know, my kids need to get done, their chores or their daily activities. And, you know, I'm can sound like I'm more focused on that than uh, on, you know, making sure that they know every day that they belong to me, that I love them no matter what, whether they get their list of chores done or not. Um, I think about, you know, my church community, church communities I've been a part of in the past, like, how am I treating people? How are we treating people? Are we treating people as if they belong here? Uh, I know it's become really trendy for churches to print signs that, you know, um, greeters might hold at the door that, that say, you belong here, you know, welcome home. But what does it mean to really posture ourselves toward others as if they belong as much as we do in the same space uh, that we inhabit. And I think sometimes, you know, I myself am guilty. I think the church is guilty of thinking about people out there, like outside the walls of the church to whom we can minister, uh, to whom we can provide a resource, people in whose lives we can, you know, quote, make a difference. But that does not in and of itself foster a sense of inclusion and belonging. That in and of itself does not cultivate the kind of hope that I think Father Boyle is writing about. Uh, I love this other thing that he wrote in the book, which was, you know, we always seem to be faced with this choice to save the world or savor it. I want to propose that savoring is better and that when we seek to, quote, save and, quote, contribute and give back and rescue folks and even, quote, make a difference, then it is all about you and the world stays stuck. He says, don't set out to change the world. Set out to wonder how people are doing. I just feel like that's a a mic drop moment because, you know, in in all my years in church ministry, you know, pastors are supposed to help their people make a difference in the world. I mean, first and foremost, primarily, we are supposed to preach the gospel to our neighbors, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we're, you know, out with a megaphone. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi has been attributed with the the phrase or the saying, you know, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words, right? So as pastors, you know, our job is to encourage people to uh, preach the gospel with and without words, right? To be a light to their community. 
And we often think in terms of making a difference, right? Uh, making a difference in the lives of others. I've been part of, you know, outreaches and I've I've sponsored and, and managed outreaches at Thanksgiving time that, you know, deliver Thanksgiving food to to uh, people in our community. But I think Boyle adds this layer to these acts of service that I'm not sure I've always been keyed into. I'm not sure if we as a Christian community are always keyed into. And that is the question of how are people doing? How is this human being doing? This person that I'm about to encounter, this person I'm about to bring, you know, a a turkey voucher to, how are they doing? And, you know, I can translate that to also the question um, I need to be asking as a parent. Like, how is my kid doing in the context of me, you know, wanting to help them be a successful and thriving adult, wanting to help them be a successful and thriving student? Is that question in the foremost of my mind? How are my kids doing in the midst of all this coaching that I'm giving? Uh how how is how are things going for them? The other thing that really stood out to me that I'm going to carry with me from this book is just the reminder that you never really know what people are going through and what brought them to the choices that they've made. You know, a lot of times we see like the last stop in their story up to this present time. You know, we see where their choices have brought them to, whether that is detention or probation or jail or, you know, divorce or, you know, loss of custody of their children. But we don't always see what brought them to that point. And when we can really see that backstory, a lot of times that just, it helps us reframe what we're seeing. It helps us with our level of compassion. And there was a story that Father Boyle told in the book about um, going to the University of Irvine, a psychology class he was asked to speak to, and he took along uh, a couple homies. And um, one in particular, Mauricio, uh, told his a little bit of his story, and after they finished the talk, a young woman in the class asked Mauricio why he ran away from home at nine years old, and you know presumably got into a gang. And Father Boyle said, Mauricio shrugs a little and says, "I was tired of listening to my parents." Later on the drive home, Father Boyle asked him if he remembers what he'd said. And Mauricio said yes, and Father Boyle asked him to repeat it. Um, Mauricio said, I said I ran away from home because my mom would beat my ass. And Father Boyle says to Mauricio in that moment, he says, you know, you didn't say any such thing. In fact, you said you were tired of listening to your parents. Serio? Mauricio asked in disbelief. And then Father Boyle goes into Mauricio's backstory Uh, Mauricio had never even met his father. His mother tortured him daily. Um, One year when Mauricio was in the second grade, she sent him to live in the backyard with a lengthy chain fixed around his neck. The yard became his toilet. 
his bedroom, his cell, Boyle writes, neighbors would sneak him food but never call the authorities on the mother. She finally let Mauricio back in the house once summer had ended. Running away from home two years later seemed pretty sensible. You never know what somebody's story is and what brought them to the place that they're in. Um, He writes, good kids or bad kids, gang members think they are the villains of their own stories, largely because society has insisted on it. Finding the hero inside takes courageous and constant work. What a courageous young person to leave home at nine years old, given the story that he'd lived. So my takeaway from Father Boyle's Barking to the Choir, The Power of Radical Kinship, is twofold. Uh, If I had to condense it down into two statements, it would be this. Number one, don't try to help people without wondering how they are doing. And number two, when people are in trouble, be curious about their stories. Don't try to help people without wondering how they're doing. And when they're in trouble, be curious about their stories. Uh, These are things I'm going to carry forward with me uh, into my interactions with my kids, my husband, my neighbors, the people I encounter in ministry. And um, I encourage you to take these things away with you as well. Thanks so much for joining us for this first ever episode of the Your Pastor Reads Books podcast. Check out our show notes for book recommendations. And if you want more information about me and some of the other projects I'm working on or want to support the podcast or my other creative work, you can go to heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B, heatherweber.org. And uh, click around on there. You'll see where to subscribe to my Substack newsletter and never miss an episode of this podcast. Thanks so much and enjoy your day. Bye.